Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast and a special episode because if you have seen the title, episode 150, so the 150th episode of the podcast to round out a unique year of 2020 and we're joined by podcast regular Josh, how are you mate? Yeah, really well, Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to all our listeners, Um, how are you doing Sam, you're good? Yeah, very good, thank you for calling the, uh, the late substitution to replace Larry. Well, I thought he might have been hiding from the Luke Shaw hate he was giving uh, one of our listeners um, last week. So I thought he might have been uh, back in his cave after that fantastic performance um, against Leicester. Yeah, I think Larry's got a few podcasts lined up, a few sort of one-on-ones, which will be good chats. I think he can. Yeah, he's got the Martial debate with a few people. He's got the Luke Shaw debate with a few people. So definitely some interesting bouts to look forward to in 2021. But speaking of 2021, that is the number because... After that, it just feels, doesn't it? It just feels like number title, title number 21 could be on its way, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I don't want to jinx it, but... It's not about jinxing yeah. it, it just feels there's something there. It was a tight, it was a title-winning performance, I'll give you that, because, you know, in every title-winning team, there's probably about five or six games of the season where you, you just don't deserve much from the game and then you end up winning 1-0. And that was exactly that was exactly it today. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, we'll just start on the team selection and the starting eleven. Just your thoughts because it's a weird one, especially in midfield. We'll go through the whole team, but you look in midfield especially. It seems I don't know if this is just a circumstance and a bit of a coincidence, but it almost seems Solskjaer is very much Fred and McTominay will play together. Now, if I don't play one of Fred or McTominay, they're not going to play. I'll play Matic and Pogba or some type of combination there. It's it's like he almost has two teams for the, the type of midfield he wants to go for. Do you see that or is it just a coincidence, do you think? I think there's elements of that. Um, with, with the Pogba situation, he had a good game uh, midweek against Everton. So I thought, you know, he was... He was, you know, asking for a game when he came on against Leicester City as well. He was really positive, so... I thought Pogba was always going to start this game and you look at the games we've in the past against Wolves, they've never really been, you know, eventful type of games. They've always been really scrappy, really close, never really more than one or two goals. Um, so I thought it was quite, you know, a predictable team, even though it was six changes. Well, I think it's like that and I think we mentioned, both mentioned it on the podcast against Leicester that whatever midfield we want to go with, when you compare it to the other team, we looked at Leicester's midfield and we said Leicester if you sort of added up the transfer value of each player, is probably so-called better than Man United's. And we look at, we're coming into the January transfer window now, a lot of the Wolves players, their names will pop up. And if we look at a player like, I don't think he was fantastic today, but you look at a Martino, maybe a bit older, but you look at definitely Neves, etc. They're players a lot of United fans want. And then you think, well, they're a good midfield. They're very good, so we need to be at our best. So regardless of who we selected, um, I thought we did very well in midfield today. Yeah, and I, I thought it was always going to be a cagey affair. As, as I just said before, the results in the past have never really been anything more than one or two goals in it. I know you can't really expect the same every year. One of these years we'll play Wolves and someone's going to win 3 or 4 nil. Um, but it was just really predictable as well. You've got to look at the context, Christmas period. It's probably about 48, 72 hours in between games at the moment. It's never going to generate you know a load of it's never going to really be a goal fest and you look at the results across this match um, cycle and apart from the Leeds game I think every other game was really one goal in it one nil one ones nil nils 
Well, just before we get into, I just want to touch on one more bit in regards to the starting lineup. But just there, you mentioned the other results. United fans, we get so pessimistic when other teams drop points and then we, we have a game the next day and we think we're not going to take advantage. We're going to blow it. We're going to bottle it. And you look up for 93 minutes, it looked like na- that narrative was going to continue where you think it's just the inevitable nil-all draw when we had the chance to make ground on the teams above us. And fortunately now there's only one team above us. But it obviously changed. <laughs> for one deflection, it does change. The whole outlook um, looks completely different now. So just your thoughts on... Going into the game, your thoughts, did you believe in United to be able to finally take advantage of other teams dropping points, or was it just a case of you think, oh, it's going to be same old, same old? Um, I think Wolves is, is sort of a bogey team for us. We don't really have much luck against them. Most of the games we either seem to like draw against them or lose like closely, maybe 1-0. So I was probably more optimistic going into the Leicester game. I just think we have a little bit more confidence... Um, playing Leicester therefore you know we should have maybe got more in that game I know it might come back to haunt us but Wolves I wasn't really as optimistic going into that game and that's just due to the nature of past results I think the quality in their team as well Um, so yeah after the the end result today really really pleasing considering that but I wasn't as optimistic you know going into the game yeah it is a tough one and it seems like Look, it was it was a fitted way to finish twenty twenty because it seems it was about the twenty fourth game we played against them this year, <laughs> um, but I just saw we actually played them on the final day of the season, so away at Wolves. So hopefully we'll be lifting the trophy at Molyneux. But we'll just on the last bit on the start in eleven. I think the big name to come out of it, which a lot of people are calling for, but a lot of people also are a little bit hesitant when his name does come up, is Eric Bay, and he's performed in the last two games, um, Leicester and Everton, and performed well. You think. Well, he's performing well. He keeps his spot, and rightly so, keeps his spot, albeit Victor Lindelof, I think, is carrying a bit of a knock. Before we get into the gen- before we get into the January transfer window, what that means for Eric Bay and our defensive situation, just his performance alongside Maguire? I thought Eric Bay he had a little bit of a shaky start to the game, but I thought he was really confident, probably one of uh, the better players on the pitch. I thought defensively we were pretty decent tonight on the whole. I mean, obviously, we've got a clean sheet, so... You look to you look to the defence and the goalkeeper for that. But I thought, yeah, he was really confident and probably warrants his place if Lindelof is still injured for the next game. Where do you see, looking forward now, because okay, you just look at our defensive record, if we want to mount a serious title challenge, it's definitely going to have to improve. And people have their question marks over Lindelof and Maguire as a parent. I think everyone absolutely loves Eric Bay, but knows... First of all, he has a big mistake in him, but second of all, you just can't rely on him. It's it's fun while it lasts. Let's enjoy these good performances, but unfortunately, we do know what is around the corner. Now, fingers crossed, it doesn't happen. But if you're a betting man and you're sort of real, if you're honest with yourself, you know eventually he will get injured. So coming on to now, obviously, by the time a lot of people listening to this, the January transfer window will be open. How do you see sort of United's ambitions in in sort of looking at that defensive area of the pitch? I think it's sort of a needs-must basis. You look to the injury with uh, Lindelof, who seems to be picking up quite a few minor niggles this year. Um, yeah, I think we probably will look to the transfer market, if not in January, maybe in the summer. Um, obviously, Bailly wants those assurances, but he's in the plans. And I think it's a good opportunity now for him to really show what he's worth. I don't think United will look to get rid of him, um, especially in January, considering that you know the fixture pile-up what could happen as well if games do get postponed. But I think it's an area that, that you know we've been crying out for for a long time to really look to. 
And I know people say, you know, a lot of critics have said, and me included, that, you know, we spent 80 million on Harry Maguire. We spent a lot of money, you know, a couple of years ago on Lindelof, uh, on Bay as well. Do we, we really like, we really getting this wrong that we need to buy consistently or is it something that we actually need? What do you think is more important now? If you put yourselves in the club shoes, let's say confirmed we are in a title race now. Do you think it's more important now for the club to go, if we have an opportunity to get a short-term, maybe not a long-term option in now to help us over the next six months who could potentially win us a title, let's do that business now, even if it doesn't make long-term sense? Or do you think it's more important to wait off and maybe not make any rash decisions now and get, say, your number one target in the summer? That's a tough one. It's a tough one. United have always been, um, especially in the past, quite impulsive. I think we've seen a bit of a stop to that in recent, you know, in recent transfer windows, especially since Solskjaer's come in. But if I was in their shoes, I'd say if you know if you could buy if you could buy someone quite cheap, or I say cheap, someone that's not maybe sixty million, but <laughs> could be for a needs must basis, then then yeah, I'd definitely get someone in. But if you, if you know it's a guarantee that you can get your number one target, whoever that may be, in, in the summer, it might be worth waiting. But, you know, we're seeing a lot of injuries at the moment due to, you know, due to how many games we're playing. I think it might be a sensible thing. You know, I'm not going to sit on the fence in this. I know I've given you two points of view there, but I think you do buy someone in the December transfer or the January transfer window, should I say. Yeah, Definitely. Just moving on now, before we go on to a few more individuals, we look at um, the actual performance, because we do look back at a game like that and we think, well, the performance doesn't matter. It's a result that counts, and it was quite a boring match, but obviously the injury time winner makes it feel, I wouldn't say bigger than it is, because it was massive, but it, it sort of overshadows the performance. But if we do look back over the 90 minutes, we, I thought we were good. And we dominated and we controlled. I don't think Wolves offered much. Obviously, they are, they are very dangerous on the attack, but I thought we dealt with them quite well. And if we, if you dominate a game against Wolves, you have to play well to do that. However, it just felt flat and no urgency, and it was very frustrating, and it's a completely different picture, and we're having a completely different conversation about Solskjaer and the players if we don't get that fortunate goal at the end. Yeah, and I know, like I know, I mentioned before, saying you know, you look at the timing of the you know, fixture. It's come over Christmas. Players are pretty tired playing games consecutively, but you know, we did make six changes for this game, so you probably expected a bit more. I know some of the changes were probably a bit more on the defensive side of things, but even still, you probably expected a, a little bit more. You know, urgency in the game. You know. You look at our position in the table going into the game, we had the opportunity to, to go second, which we did in the end. But you would have thought there would be a bit more fight and, you know, desire, a bit more panache and urgency on the ball. Do you think, and unfortunately Larry's not here to join in the discussion with us, but do you think anything changed at half-time with the introduction of Luke Shaw over Tellers? Because Tellers came in for some criticism at half-time and whether Solskjaer saw that and was the, the decision behind the substitution, I'm not sure. But I thought Tellers was fine, but without sort of doing too much, which I've criticised Luke Shaw for. I think Luke Shaw is fine, especially defensively, but you always want more from in an attacking point of view. And I don't think Luke Shaw's really changed the game going forward. However, there just seemed to be a little bit more urgency when Luke Shaw had the ball this in the second half compared to Tellers in the first half. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I thought Shaw, when he came on, I, I don't think he did much different to Tellers in the sense of, you know, 
his style of playing and what he brought to the game. But he was, you know, maybe a bit more urgent on the ball. I don't think he created, you know, much more. But he, uh, you know, he did provide something. I thought he was a very, very strong performance. I thought he was good defensively. I thought he gnawed the threat, which they probably posed a bit more in the first half. I think that was probably well, the major difference. That tackle. There was that tackle, and maybe it's a little bit different. I think it would have had maybe more of an impact if it was a if there were seventy five thousand people at Old Trafford. But regardless of that fact, it will still have an impact on players and the sort of the management and the, just it creates a different vibe. I think it was pretty early when he came on, so it must have been early in the second half. He made a very good. It was pretty easy, but a very good and effective slide tackle on Traore. Well, it was forty nine. It was forty nine minutes in because I made the notes because I was going to message Larry as soon <laughs> as that tackle happened, but. I think something else might have happened in the game that distracted me, but I just like stopped typing. But, but, but on that tackle, it, it wasn't a bone-crunching Roy Keane sort of Patrick Vieira type tackle, but it just did something that just set the tone, and I've, it, we didn't go on to win the game off the back of that tackle. However, I'm not saying Tellers doesn't do that, but it was a very sort of positive contribution by Luke Shaw. I just thought I'd mention it. Yeah, no, and it just probably highlights probably his biggest strengths, really, which is defensively. He's defensively solid. Again, we just yeah. asked probably a bit more on the other half of the pitch of him, um, which is probably where, he's, where the criticism lies, and, and probably an element of it which I agree with, which um, you know, Larry promotes. Well, you, you look at... Look, I had a tweet ready to go. I hadn't typed it up, but I knew exactly what I was going to say, and it was directed at Marcus Rashford, and I had this ready from about the 80th minute, and thinking, I'm going to put this out at full time and give my honest thoughts on Rashford. Now, he has scored the winner, so I'll keep those thoughts to myself. I thought he was woeful throughout the game. However, he keeps his head up. He's missed, or he didn't actually miss too many chances, but he, the game wasn't going for him, but he has kept his head up, and in the 93rd minute, he's kept his composure, and look, yes, it was extremely extremely fortunate, but he's got himself into a good position and made it count. So just your thoughts on Rashford's, first of all, his performance, but then also, so looking back, take the deflection away. It's quite a good goal. He had a lot to do. He did have a lot to do, but before prior to that, I don't think it's a case of Rashford being overly woeful. I think Wolves were really defensively sound. Quite similar, really, to the Arsenal game for us. When we lost 1-0 to Arsenal, when Papa gave away the penalty, I thought defensively we were pretty decent. I don't think we were that bad defensively. And it's probably the case today with Wolves. I know, obviously, we didn't score a penalty to win the game. Surprise, surprise. Um, but I think it's just a case of that they... Defensively, they just nullified all the threats from our strikers, from Cavani, um, also from Rashford. I don't think he was poor today. I think they, he was just frustrated because Wolves, you know, were allowed to frustrate him. Do you think it was a game? I was calling for at half time, and again, not many people agree with me. But it wasn't even the case with one matter for me this time. It was either Matter or Donny Van der Beek in for. Ideally, I was actually saying Marcus Rashford, but I think in Solskjaer's mind, it was probably more likely to be Greenwood, and Greenwood was eventually subbed. But it was a game where Wolves were... Look, people said they parked the bus. I'm not sure they quite parked the bus, but they definitely defended deep. But they did have that sort of ability to counter. Did you think it was a game where it just didn't suit Rashford? It would have suited a more intricate player rather than someone always looking to get him behind? I think um, I think a game suited Rashford. I don't think it was the case of that. I think the only change, and it probably would have got more hate if it happened, is I probably wouldn't have put Martial on because I think he was just as frustrated... Uh, as Rashford when he came on I know he had a big chance um, midway through the second half where he just leaned over the ball and it went over and you know went over probably we were thinking there he should be testing the keeper but I probably would have going back to that I probably would have bought 
Juan Mataron for uh, Greenwood, just in terms of the you know the creative spark. He scored against them last year in another KG affair in the cup. Um, we won one 0 very late. Was it late on in the game? But he yeah, came definitely on. second half. Yeah, definitely yeah, second half. He scored in the second half to you know to put us one up. I think he was just provide you know the game was just crying for something a little bit more creative. I know obviously Bruno and Pogba are, are creative in that sense, but Mata is a bit more consistent, you know, on the ball and with it, with his position as well with the passes. I, th- I think was, I think it was a case for me there in regards to the way you describe that in terms of so many of us look at pace and whether we sort of over exaggerate the importance of it or not. We look at pace, but we think of pace as a Marcus Rashford or a Dan James or Mbappe or whatever you want to say. But in my opinion, and it's not my opinion, it's it's an absolute fact for me. Pace, the the more important sort of part of that is ball movement. And I think, because obviously everyone's seen the old movie with goal, what moves quicker, the ball or the player? The ball will move quicker. And I think players like Donny van der Beek, one matter, they move the ball quicker than anyone. Like, for you, who was the best player on the pitch today? Best player on the pitch for me? Um, well, I was going to say the goalkeeper. But apart from Besides, the... goalkeepers don't count, they're not players. Yeah, yeah. but apart from the goalkeeper, I'd probably say um, Luke Shaw or maybe, I know I didn't put Luke Shaw on my 3 to one today, but uh, probably Eric Bailly, I thought was decent at centre-back. Okay. You've stumped and me. The Matic. Matic. That's, and the Matic. That's the name yeah. I wanted. I wanted Nemanja Matic yeah. there. The reason being, everyone talks about Matic being too slow. He's too slow. However, I thought he was the best player on the pitch today because he moved the ball quicker than anyone. And I thought he was control the ball, pass, control the ball, pass, control the ball, pass. And I thought that was happening so often, but Pogba was taking one or two touches. The ball was going out to Rashford, and he was standing on the ball waiting for things to happen. Whether that be his fault or there's not enough movement, who knows. But the ball was, it wasn't moving quick enough. And that's where I think it was the type of game with Wolves sitting quite deep. where It's not about pace getting in behind. It's about speed of thought and ball movement, which moves quicker than any single player in the world. So... Look, at the end of the day, got the job done and definitely gets the um, all-important yeah, goal, which we all love. I, I completely agree with you there with the, with the Matic point. And it sort of resonates with a comment Larry, Larry did yesterday. and when it, Well, Larry did when it was um, analysing Shaw, when he said sometimes it's the simple things aren't enough. But I think in a game like today, the simple things are enough. And at times, United really overthought it today, which is why they came across as so lethargic. Uh, so wasteful at times because they were thinking, you know, how to nullify such a defensive threat. They were taking too many risks when really it probably was was a case of just doing the simple things. And Matic uh, emphasised that today. Yeah, we just. I was going to move on to the three two ones, but just before we do, just you mentioned simple things, and a thought just came into my mind. I was sort of having a slight discussion with a few people on Twitter today regarding Bruno Fernandes, and again, Bruno Fernandes today. If you'd have read his performance. Below par, it's probably a four or a five out of ten. He wasn't great, yeah. he was very wasteful with the ball. And while we're very fortunate with the deflection, and Rashford still had a lot to do, technically in the record books, Bruno Fernandez gets another assist, so it's, a, it's another goal contribution. And I'm just thinking now, we're going to get into the title talk a little bit later, and we'll definitely podcast in the time, we'll have a better picture of what the title race will look like. And I definitely know he has a long way, he has more than a long way to go. He, he will never reach this status. Well, I pray to God he does, but. It, look, very unlikely he will ever reach his status, but I just want to think, let's say we do win title number 21. Ideal scenario, it happens. Are we putting, Is it time to start putting Bruno Fernandes in the same discussion as Eric Cantona? But the impact this guy has had, since he's come in February the 1st, we played Wolves, I think, 
Um, that was his first game, so coming on to a year ago, we have racked up more points in the English Premier League than any other team since his arrival. It's, it's an unreal impact, but I think it goes goes back to what you've said on many podcasts before or prior to this, where it's a case of who's the better footballer, but who's the better influence. And I think, as you said, Pogba probably is a better football player than Bruno Fernandes, but the impact Fernandes has had and what he brings to the team is you, you just wouldn't swap that for anything. And I think today sort of summarises that. I think, and I think you look back to the Leicester game as well. I think Leicester in today are probably two of Bruno's worst performances of the season. I mean, I'm happy to debate this with, with, with anyone, but he was really wasteful today. But it's a sign of a great influencer and a great, someone that has a great impact on a team for someone to have that much of a poor game and contribute in terms of assists both the games. And he even scored, obviously, against Leicester as well. He got a goal and assist for the, in the Leicester game and he got the assist today. Yeah, well, the, the ball today was actually I've looked at it from a few angles and there's the reverse angle which is quite interesting where it shows it's a very good image of how the Wolves defence is lined up and I think Harry Maguire sort of wins the ball right on the sort of the um, sideline near the, sort of the substitution area plays the ball into Bruno Bruno really has nothing on and Rashford is a long way away and the ball from Bruno is a good one. Now, the defender should do better. The defender gets a little bit wrong, sort of wrong-footed and is unable to sort of get his feet and he loses track of the flight and he, he's unable to get a header on it and goes through to Rashford and we know what happens from there. But it's the intent and desire from Bruno Fernandes to win there. He had two or three other balls, very safe balls, which he could have played, which percentage-wise will play a better option than the ball to Rashford. But you can just see there's a sheer hatred of losing and a desire to keep going, keep going, keep going, which has ultimately got the ball to Rashford, which has ultimately got us the win. Exactly, yeah. He's, he's Again, he's created something right at the death of the game where you're thinking, you know, the keyboard warriors probably could... I don't think there was ever going to be keyboard warriors out for Bruno, but as I said, it was probably his worst game, probably his worst game for us this season, in my opinion. Yeah, well, long may continue if he's going to still produce um, assists and goals like that. Um, yeah, long may continue. But we'll move on to three, two, ones now. Um, I'll ban you from the podcast if you don't agree with me on this one, but Nemanja Matic is getting my three points. I don't care what anyone says. I thought he was head and shoulders above anyone on the pitch, I think. One, I don't think we even go on to win that game without Nemanja Matic. I think more importantly, we potentially even lose the game without Nemanja Matic. I thought off the ball and on the ball... He, were, he was very good. I'm not even going to debate that with you, Tom. I completely agree with you. Um, definitely our best player on the pitch. Hands down. No, brilliant. So with that, I'll give you the honours because there's two, there's two players I have for the two and one point. So I'll give you the honours of throwing your player in for two points. I'm probably going to give it to De Gea today. Um, I thought it was probably one of his better performances for United, um, especially this season. Made some crucial saves. I know they're probably saves you'd expect him to make, but you know he made some decent saves that obviously keep us, you know, still in the game, still level. He had to ch- he, made, he made a save. I think it was ruled out for offside in the end, but it was point blank and he tipped over the bar. I thought that was a class mm. save. I mean, if that was onside, you'd be talking about it for a while. So I think for me, yeah, yeah, definitely, he gets a two for me. Yeah, no, I've got him in my notes here. He's down for two points. I think he, as well. I think he contributes. I think he contributes more. That yeah, he contributed more than probably any other any other play besides Matic his contribution was good in the game because Wolves did pose a threat 
Yeah, I think that's the thing. Well, I think a lot of people are pointing the finger at Wolves and saying, oh, they just parked the bus. But, yeah, you do look back at the highlights and the incidents that did, did happen in the game. De Gea was busy. Um, I think Wolves had more shots on target than us. I can't remember too many, actually, times where you sort of really tested their keeper. But uh, I definitely had him down for two points. And not to get into a huge discussion about De Gea now, we, we had a little bit with Shaw and Tellez. But just the latest on sort of your opinion on how it's playing out, the De Gea-Henderson sort of, sort of comparison, is it a case of... Because no doubt De Gea did come in for criticism, and rightly so, last season. Do you think it's a case of his inf- sort of increase in form is down to Dean Henderson being at the club? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at Henderson's performance last year with Sheffield United. I know they're a completely different team this year, and that's probably not because Henderson's not with him. I think they're just... I think they've been exposed anyway. Um, I don't think he can play the same way as he did last season with a team like that. Um, but in terms of the debate between Henderson and De Gea, yeah, I think De Gea has to up his game, really. Um, he's got a, a not a world-class second keeper, but he's got a high-quality second keeper. Um, remember, Romero is still at the club as well. So, you know, you've got two decent backup keepers that still play for, play for United. Yeah, no, definitely. You've no, seen no, a similar thing, obviously, with Shaw and Tellers. Yeah, well, yeah, Tellers and Shaw, I think, is a good example, and which is why it's not on my priority, but I'm sure we'll discuss it um, on many of the podcasts over the coming weeks. We're still linked with maybe a potential right back or two, and I love what Aaron Wan-Bissau is doing, and I'm definitely keeping the faith with him, but I can understand a sort of a long-term thought behind the club in terms of getting him some solid um, competition because, yeah, he hasn't dropped off in a bad way, but... Um, yeah, you can definitely see the improvement in Shaw's performance. If we can get that extra 5 or 10% out of one Bissaka, I think we see a much better player. But we'll go on to sort of the Facebook comments. Uh, we'll go through everyone's 3 2 ones. George has three for Bailey. We've not, we not done our one, Tom. We haven't done, done our one. one. Um, correct. Do you agree with me that it's Eric Bay? Good shout. Yeah, Eric Bay. We'll also want to say Luke Shaw just to spite Larry, but um, yeah, I think we'll say Eric Bay. Yeah, no, thank you. Cheers for reminding me. Yeah. I think it's hard with Eric Bay. You just, I think with Bay's performance, you just have to look at the 90 minutes. You have to take away, I wouldn't say the circus that comes with him, but you have to take away all the baggage regarding that we sort of can't look too far forward to him that potentially he will get injured. But um, yeah, Eric Bay, I thought for the 90 minutes was um, very good. So we'll just move on to the uh, Facebook comments, as I said. Um, George has gone three for Bay, two for Matic, one for De Gea. Dave Knight has gone three for De Gea, two for Rashford, one for Matic. Chris Wiley has gone Rashford, Matic. Really? Oh, look, I think the goal. I think the goal is crucial in, and rightly so. Sometimes I feel the same as well because it's we've had the debate as well. So what warrants points? So when we look back at sort of when um, maybe I've lost six one at Spurs, said so how did you give points there? You, you look for one or two moments that maybe someone sort of got over someone and a winning goal yeah his performance I thought <laughs> I didn't like his performance yeah exactly yeah. he's won as a game I suppose yeah so it's a hard one I'd be interested if anyone else throws Rashford in there but um, yeah so Chris has gone Matic Bay and De Gea huge three points Rav on Facebook goes Bay De Gea and Matic Rob goes three points for Matic two points for Bay one for Rashford as well but also thought De Gea was good and Antonio goes three for Matic, two for Bay, and one for Rashford. And also on Twitter, one of our listeners from Northern Ireland, Jamie, has he's got Rashford for the three points, so very happy with the goal. Two for, De, <laughs> two for David De Gea and one for Eric Bay. So thank you, everyone, for letting us know your thoughts there. 
it's always good when there's a few um, different shouts. But we'll move on to before we finish the podcast in 2020, sort of go sort of wrap up a little bit. Um, Big Sam has he's obviously back in football, back in a job, and it hasn't taken him long to open his mouth. But it's obviously a serious issue, which we'll just discuss a little bit now. Um, the latest on COVID, he is, which is weird when you take in account Big Sam has just taken a job at West Brom, and now he's coming in and saying, "Well, I'm 66, I have to worry about my health." Um, well, if it was that important, maybe you shouldn't have taken the job where you're going to be travelling around the country. So it's a hard one. However, what he is saying deep down at its core is true. So just your thoughts on the latest. Well, one or two games are starting to get postponed. United's game against Man City looks like it potentially get postponed as well. Just your thoughts on the latest sort of development regarding that? Well, I think more and more games are getting postponed. You've hit a nail on the head there. I mean, I looked at the score centre app today for Sky Sports, and I think there was six games in League Two postponed. I think another six in League One, um, a few in the Championship, and obviously you get in the Premier League games now that are beginning to get postponed. I know Newcastle have had a few postponed this year. Everton and Man City has been postponed, and I think it's going to get to a case now that the UK is getting the highest probably number of cases and deaths since I think it's since like March or April. That. What's going to happen is you're going to get more games postponed. Teams are going to be playing catch up, you know, at ridiculous times of the of, you know, you know, of the year. They're going to be, you know, behind four or five games. You've seen that already. I think with Sunderland, there's something like, and I think Sunderland and Accrington standing in League One have got an eight game in hand advantage over other teams. And then you're going to have to think where you're going to play these catch up for these games because the season's got to end sometime. It's just going to become a bit, you know, games are going to be really sporadic. And I think you've got to take into account, I know we're selfish, we want to watch football 24-7. I think it may be best to actually postpone it. It's probably the sensible thing to do to postpone it, you know, for a couple of weeks. The UK haven't handled COVID generally well at all. Um, but, do you think the postponement, day, but do you think a two weeks, like Gary Neville was talking about it on Twitter just before we started recording, okay, ideally, yes, and maybe that could potentially get one or two clubs on top of the situation. But it doesn't fix anything. It's a bigger issue within the UK or within the whole world, of course, but especially within the UK. Are we just going to sort of start the problem again in two weeks' time then? Probably, yeah, but it's, it's a case of, you know, what's best... Maybe not so what's best for us, but what's also best for players. I mean, you're looking at cases of players within teams having, you know, COVID, maybe not just once, but also multiple times. You know, it's not just it's not a case of once you've had it once, you might be immune for it again. It's a whole different debate, really. Um, and at the end of the day, as well, games are always going to they've got to make a decision whether you know you postpone the games or you have this rule where you know what you have to feel the team no matter what. Because at the end of the day, if if your city had six COVID cases, you know, for the next four four weeks, how many games are you playing in that time? How many games mm. are you postponing? Well, you mentioned the games in hand. They're not going to spend. Well, you mentioned the games in hand. They still, I think, they've got two games in hand on us now. We look at how close we are to Liverpool and potentially sort of catching them. City, I think, if they add, if they win their games in hand, they're only a point behind us, so they're definitely still well in the conversation as well. I know, I know, and I get get what you're saying, but it could get to a stage where you know City have five games in hand, and you're coming towards the end of the season. And you're thinking, you know, you're waiting for City to play those five games to see if a, if a team's won the league or... Mm-hmm. They're going to have to play catch-up at some point and 
City are firing on all cylinders at the moment in the sense that they're in they're still in every cup competition I know obviously the League Cup's going to end in February or March time but they're still in the Champions League as well so they're going to be playing the games after Christmas every week when are you going to fit those games in hand in because the you know, football's not gonna. You know, football's not gonna stop. You're gonna have international breaks as well. So again, you're playing catch up when the internationals come back. I think it's just a case of having something in place where you say, you know what, we're living in such a terrible time at the moment, but still feel the team, or just postpone it together to get you know a grip on it. Yeah, look, I think it's had a lot. It's, you, can have, you can have a whole podcast. You can have a whole podcast yeah. on this, Tom. You can have a whole podcast on this. Oh, no, and, and look, I'm sure we will. <laughs> I'm sure we will because this thing definitely is not going away. And I fully support people's ideas and the idea of sort of whether it be a postponement or not, but sort of the idea of obviously COVID and people's health is far more important than football. However, I look back at when fo- we did go into lockdown and football did stop. Football for billions around the world is so important. I'm just thinking, as big as the Premier League is, and obviously there's a football pyramid, which is just as important, but as big as the Premier League is, I'm sure, which they've proven over the last couple of months, they can progress, they can sort of go forward with a plan which keeps people safe. Like, you look, they have, whatever, 2,000 tests regarding staff and players, and it's always only a handful of t- uh, positive cases. Now, obviously, that has increased in a couple, in recent weeks, so maybe it's jumped from one or two cases to 15, 16, 17 cases. But I, I just think, and, and it is a selfish point of view, I do look at this, and as you say, you want to watch football 24-7. And we're here sitting in Australia where COVID hasn't affected us as badly as other countries like the UK. So we can sit here and say, oh, just get on with it. We can make do, you can make do sort of thing. But I just hope they can find a way to um, sort of push through and find a way, well, whether that's more investment in terms of keeping players in bubbles. Um, I'm not quite sure, but... Yeah, I'd be devastated if football went back down in, into a lockdown situation. Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more with you. But some, you know, it's a case of what's sensible. And you look at the you look at the systems in place in the UK. You know, if if your town is in a tier two system, you can have two thousand fans at the stadium. Everyone's getting excited about it now. But then you look at it now. No one can watch the games because yeah. you can only watch it if you're from Liverpool. And one one of the teams, you know, games got sort of postponed this weekend. So no one's watching football. Because everyone's in a you know a high risk area. Yeah, no, so that, but as you say, I think we'll be having a discussion um, more times. I'm sure we'll have a big podcast about it in January, but um, hopefully it's more positive news. But um, yeah, definitely stay tuned because um, this would be the horrible season for it to get postponed when we are quite clearly in a um, in a title race. But just to wrap up the podcast, um, and speaking of the COVID world and 2020, this is the last podcast for 2020. Um, and also lined up our 150 episodes. So thank you all for all the support over the past year. It has been a tough one, but a good one for the podcast. So I remember when we were just speaking of lockdown then, when football sort of did stop, Larry and I were sitting here thinking, geez, what do we do with the podcast now? There's really got to be nothing to talk about, but we got into a real groove of getting some really good guests on and some interesting podcasts. And um, yeah, we were able to sort of just get into a groove where we were able to get one or two podcasts out a week. And just looking back, I was looking through sort of the names with sort of guests we've had on in 2020, and we've been fortunate enough. We've had former players like Ben Thornley, Jesper Olsen, Luke Chadwick has been on the podcast. Uh, my personal favourite, probably, I know I've spoken to you about it as well, Josh. My favourite was the Alan Keegan podcast. I thought, I thought that was a fantastic chat with him. 
Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I think my favourite one was the um, Alan Keegan one, but apart from that, um, I love the Luke Chadwick and Ben Thorne one. Um, you know, invested a lot of time um, in speaking to the podcast as well. You know, you usually think I've only got half an hour, 45 minutes, but these guys, you know, yeah. happy to give you a lot of the time. Really, really good listens, and, and I know we as listeners really, uh, really appreciate that. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Well, when we get a guest on like that, like almost in all, like a former Man United player, you think, oh, geez, and then you don't want to sort of step on their toes and ask for too much in regards to time and sort of what questions you want to ask. So you're a little bit nervous when you first start the call. But ultimately, you get into a groove and they're just happy to be there, happy to talk, and they, even after you stop recording, some of them stayed on the line for an extra half hour and just chatting about whatever. So all the guests we've had on have been brilliant, not just the former players and people with the Man United connection, but um, all the guests have been great and really do appreciate all the support. And I'm just thinking here, sort of whether that be highlights of the podcast. Um, looking back, it doesn't feel like it was part of 2020, but it was. But another highlight for the podcast was, unfortunately, the bushfires Australia and New South Wales faced um, pretty much this time last year, coming into January. Um, the podcast did raise $400 for a koala hospital um, up in northern New South Wales, which is also very good. Um, just thought I'd remind people of that. That was a sort of nice little highlight for the podcast. But um, yeah, your thoughts of United going ahead in 2021? Does it mirror up in terms of I've mentioned before in terms of football narratives have a way of coming true? Title 21, 2021. Do you see something in that, or am I sort of clutching at straws? I think I had to. Have one, the optimist in me says yes, but you know, you know what? It's, you know, it's a long way to go, and we look. You're always saying, you know, it's Christmas time, anyone's in it, but it's a different Christmas time. We're not at 20 games of the season, we're at 13, sorry, 15 games of the season. You know, we're well, still playing Where, where do you up. see a title race then? Because, yes, we are in a title race, we know that. But when do you see a real title race? Like, a, you can see the finish line. Where do you see that? Is that at 25 games, at 30 games? I think, I think like, obviously now, you mean, any game where you're near the top of the table, you know, you're mounting a challenge for the title until you're officially not in it, if you're logically speaking. But I think, yeah, if we look back in, in two, three months' time, maybe 25, 30 games in, um, we're, you know, within four, five points from the top or even at the top, then, yeah, you definitely start to believe, wouldn't you? I think the no. biggest blessing for United, and I hate being defeatist, but I think the biggest blessing could be getting Sociedad in the cup because they'll be a tough team to beat. And if we do lose to them, and I know it's, I know, I hate saying this publicly on a, on a forum where lots of people are listening. If we lost to Sociedad and we're still in a challenge for the Premier League, I don't think it'd be the end of the world, personally. No, well, well I share a similar view. I haven't sort of looked too far ahead to the Sociedad game, but I've always held that view in terms of, well, almost the opposite, I should say, in terms of I always want to go for the Cups. A lot of people say, no, rotate the league's more important. But I was just looking forward, I was looking at the, well, I think we've got Watford in the FA Cup next week, if that goes ahead. And I was just thinking, well, I'm looking at the table now. Rotate everyone, play the kids against Watford. I don't care about that. We're in a title race. And I just say, I, does, I do think the situation we're in, the league definitely does um, take priority at the moment. But again, thank you everyone for staying with us in 2020 and all the support. I think uh, so many social media accounts and podcasts and YouTube channels they're filled with abuse, so everyone gets abused for their opinion. But here, a lot of people disagree with their opinions, but it is always discussed on football terms. Everyone's very supportive, and there's um, never any abuse. It's all very respectful, which both Larry and I do very much agree, um, very much appreciate. So thank you for, for all that. Make sure you're following us on all your social media, so your Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and that you're subscribed on your podcast app. 
Um, it has been a pleasure doing these 150 episodes. I'm sure it won't be too long until we reach 200. Um, hopefully we get a couple of guests on. We do have a few special guests lined up in the next few months, so um, definitely stay tuned for that. Um, another big thank you, Josh, for answering the late call. Absolutely. Always happy to uh, fill in for Larry. Happy New Year, everyone. I uh, hope you had a good Christmas and keep safe. No, echo those thoughts 100%. So we'll chat to everyone after... What's our next game, Josh? Fill me in. Aston Villa. Um, Aston Villa. hours away. Saturday morning. Yep. Saturday morning. So you'll have a weekend podcast for yourselves to enjoy. So thanks, just, everyone. Just after, after Cuff, we're also... Um, it's the first game as well. We've got like a nice run of form where it's a nice time to watch the game for you. For us fans down here, 7am start. So can't wait for no. them. Beautiful. Beautiful. Another breakfast kickoff Saturday morning, Aston Villa. Um, good one so hopefully everyone has a good one on Saturday Saturday morning Sydney time and we'll chat to you then bye